everybody, and welcome back to Coffee and Comic Books. Uh, it's a comic book podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm joined, as always, by Rick. Hello. And uh, for this episode, we're joined by a guest. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself, tell people, like, your history of, like, reading comics and stuff? Hi. Uh, so I'm Mark. Um, I have definitely been, uh, you know, moderately obsessed with comics for most of my life. Basically all of my life that I, you know, have memory of because, uh, and okay. So the thing that's kind of funny about this is that I trace, um, when I started to be really obsessed with comics, partly through the comic that we're going to talk about today. So I should tell that anecdote Mm -hmm. in a little bit, but, um, the point being that I'm pretty sure I've been like seeking out comics, uh, to read all the time since I was like at the latest eight years old. Um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, they've just always been a huge part of my life. Um, they're, I, I, I believe them to be the superior medium, uh, especially compared to film. Um, they're objectively better than film. As a, Um, as a person with a film podcast, I'm going to agree with that. (laughs) Yes. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that, that is a joke in case like anybody is listening who's, cause I, I said it so bluntly that I felt a little bad. I don't actually believe that. I'm just not a film person and, and I have a chip on my shoulder about it. Um, that might come up later in this episode based on the book we just read. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. If I, um, have this like childhood history with this book, why might I have such a chip? <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, um, I guess that's like the, the history of me starting to read comics as far as what kinds of comics I've mostly read. Um, I've, I've bounced around a lot. Um, I've read some like, mostly like my preferred way of getting my hands on comics is in trades that I usually take out from the library because I'm cheap, but I also like to read comics on paper. Um, and Mm. I've been blessed to live in cities with really excellent library systems. So that's served me pretty well uh, most of my life. And so that means that the superhero comics I've read have all been, like, collected. Um, I've never really read anything in issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've read... I've definitely read a lot of manga that way as well. Um... Yeah, I guess that's that feels like kind of the introduction that makes sense here. I don't know if there's more I should yeah. say. No, that's totally fine. Anything you've been reading like this week or this month that you want to shout out? Yeah. Uh, fine the... if the answer is no, I haven't been reading, by the way. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, it's true. I was like, oh, I'm always seeking out comics. But like every beloved hobby, sometimes I just don't do it for a while. And it it's because I'm sad, yeah. usually. But no, I have actually <laughs> been... I have actually been reading comics. Um, I read... Several volumes of Urusei Yatsura, which is... Fuck like, yeah! Oh, it's fire. It's so good. It's perfect. <laughs> um, you know, Rumiko Takahashi doesn't miss. Um, and it's it's amazing to me how well it hits with how, like, archaic the character archetypes are. Um, so, like, the, the, the basic premise of Urusei Yatsura is that uh, there's this alien princess named Lum 
who's like this adorable little Oni girl who floats in the air and has electric shock powers. And through some silly shenanigans, she ends up deciding that she is married to this uh, scumbag teenager named Ataru. And he does He's the worst man in comics. Yeah, he's, he's the really... worst man in any media ever. <laughs> Basically, whenever he sees a girl, he will lunge at her boobs hands first. <laughs> like, am I wrong? No, no, he's terrible. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. That's what I mean when I say archaic, right? Like, you there are some horny boys in anime today, but like, that's not the style anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. That's not what the obnoxious isekai protagonist acts like. It's it feels even for like even for our modern sensibilities, it feels like kind of weird and rude. Um, it's yeah. like the ninth character on the side that does that, not the yeah, exactly. Not... Yeah, like they put this guy in a uh, My Hero Academia, and it's everyone's least favorite character. <laughs> exactly. Whereas, like, this is the protagonist, and you're kind of supposed to identify with him, and he's honestly very likable. Like. This uh-huh. thing, there's this thing that keeps happening where, you know, because a lot of it is like school humor because he's a high school student. Um, and there's this thing that keeps happening where basically he's the leader of the students because everyone is kind of a schlub. Like everyone <laughs> is a little dipshit who doesn't want to do his homework and who would love to see a girl naked or rather all the boys are, but also all the girls are kind of dipshits too in their own like girl way. Um, anyway, so, like, whenever there's something, uh, in which all of the kind of lazy students are united, Ataru becomes their leader. He actually becomes class president on the strength of this. Um, <laughs> and it's great, like, and, yeah, so the entire engine of the plot is that Lum is in love with him and she's constantly calling him darling, uh, and he just, he can't stand this because she wants to tie him down and he would prefer to constantly be asking girls for their number um but of course i mentioned she has electric shock powers so she shocks him every time he looks at another girl and then there's just this succession of like weird aliens and uh people with supernatural powers and uh like it's you know it's got this like kind of romance core but it's also just the wackiest comedy Mm -hmm. it's it's very like sitcom in a certain way because like when i was reading it i just for like a month i read like one chapter before bed and i was like okay that's like an episode of the show i'm watching almost and then i just set it down you know yeah you know the um so there's a, a like new tv show um which i've been watching i have not watched the original tv show from the 80s i don't i i assume it's good but um i've been mm-hmm. watching the new one and each episode is like two vignettes or not vignettes but like two chapters from the comic um like each chapter oh that's cute each chapter is like a perfect 15 minutes yeah that's cute that's a good way of doing that i i didn't know i've seen like um uh, some clips from the new show and i'm like wow the animation's really good but i didn't actually know that they like kind of kept the same rhythm to it yeah that's good it's quite faithful. Like, it's not faithful in the sense of uh, it's not doing, like, every um, chapter in order from the beginning of when the comics started being published. But, like, because it's episodic, that doesn't matter at all. Um, but in the sense that mm-hmm. of the chapters that I've read, 
that also were adapted into the TV show. It's like they just made that chapter into a TV show and made it look really gorgeous. Which is cool. I'll have to check out that show then. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Lum- there's also the... There's there's the weird stuff, and I guess this makes sense to just cut it in the adaptation, like, because Lum's not in, like, chapters, like, two and three of the manga, I think, because, like, it wasn't supposed to be the Lum series until everybody was like, wait, bring back Lum. Lum's the best part of this. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I, hmm, so like I said, I've been reading this in printed volumes from the library, so if Mm. those volumes remove, like, the extraneous chapters, which they might, that kind of sounds like the sort of thing comics publishers do sometimes. I think it's Viz. Yeah. I think it's Viz who puts those out. It's only, like, one or two chapters, because it's very, very quick that she realizes, oh, no, Lum is the best part of this book. I gotta make this the Lum book. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, Lum, Lum is the best girl. Uh-huh. Uh, the eighties anime is where uh, remember Oshi cut his teeth on working on anime. Oh right, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, he does a lot of work on that series and the movies. Nice. It's like huh. one of the. It's very highly regarded. I just haven't seen enough enough of it. Same with the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Takashi stuff is always so good, though. Jesus. Yeah. 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 No, I've I've. Definitely been meaning to check out the 80s anime as well. Um, the <laughs> I watched the OP for it. It's really cute. It looks like peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Rick, what have you been reading? Uh, I've been reading comics by Matt Howarth. Do either of you know who Matt Howarth is? Not no. really. So uh, in the late 70s to the like middle 80s, 90s, Matt Howarth put out independent comics. Uh, he started publishing them for Heavy Metal, and then he started doing them for his own. And I've been reading uh, this book called Savage Henry, which is like 30 single issues. Um, so it is, he has a style that's like, it's like a bit of Mobius, like a bit of like, it's like a Ditko-y Mobius kind of thing, where it's like very hard, it's very like good lines, and like everything's really detailed. And then there's like this weird like pixelated edge on all of it, which makes it look Almost like it's computer made, but it's so good looking. And then, so the thing about this book, Savage Henry, is it's about a rock band in a made up uh, sci fi town, and they go on adventures basically. And he has real magician, uh, real musician from the time in the story. So like, um, members of Tangerine Dreamer in this book, like by their own permission to be in the book because he knew them. <laughs> Hell yeah! Or like. Like independent Canadian musicians from the, like Nash the if you anyone knows the, the anyone listening knows the residents or like Nash the Slash or all these bands that you've never heard of then you go look on YouTube and there's stuff there and it's like all it's all just like synthetics and like rock and roll stuff and it's it sounds really good and then it's like it's just like these like people bouncing off each other in this setting he made up to just tell stories with them it's just really fun and it's like thirty issues and it came out in the late eighties. This sounds good. It, is this yeah, like it's... collected at all or? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they put, uh, so it was done by a Vortex, which is a publisher that does not exist anymore. As doesn't, And then uh, someone else bought like the first seven issues and then put them on Comixology like a while ago. But I don't know the status uh... of them. And that platform is also going through a lot of um, bullshit. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they put it. So yeah, no, this stuff does not exist. He had another. He has one of the longest running independent series called uh, "Those Annoying Post Brothers," which is just two wisecracking 
hit men who just like can teleport well they just kind of it's like a white it's like a spy versus spy kind of thing only they're like on jobs doing like weird jobs for people and so all this stuff like smashed into each other in this weird university created it's just fun it sounds good. And like the ba- the back of every one of these issues is like capsule reviews of like independent music albums of the time <laughs> which is a really interesting way to learn about like all this old music you never heard about that you can find some of but not others it's because a lot of it's like oh they put this cassette on this attached to this book i released it's like okay i'm never gonna find that ever <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good but yeah that's what i'm reading um so i read uh less than i would have liked but um not nothing uh the first two issues of zot which is scott mcleod's uh comic series that he did before um understanding comics uh which i thought i had read some zot before and maybe i've read later issues or something but i i was not familiar like i picked these up and i was like i guess i haven't read this shit at all uh that shit's good as hell dude (laughs) um you really, um, you really understand uh, what it is that blew his mind so much about all the manga he was reading. It's very funny. The um, there's a little like, not a letters page at the start because he's not like getting like fan letters at least where I'm at. Um, but there's a little like forward at the start of each issue. Uh, and the forward to issue three is just, hey, y'all gotta read some Tezuka. It's not really translated <laughs> into English, so I don't know what it's about, but it's fucking cool. Y'all gotta read Phoenix. <laughs> and um, we'll definitely talk about... Um, there's a lot of uh, McLeod's hangups as a creator um, that get ex- like expressed very literally in um, understanding comics. And taking all of that in my head and reading Zot, it's like, okay, I see where he stole from this manga, from this European comic, from Karl Barks, from this manga, from that <laughs> manga. You just see it all in Zot. It's just all right there on the page. Um, it's hilarious because um, he's just wearing the like Captain Marvel Shazam outfit. And in the forward to issue three, McCloud is like, yeah, I've never actually read any Captain Marvel. I'm just totally ripping off manga for this. But <laughs> it's um, funny because it... uh, before this week, that was the only Scott McCloud thing I've read. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> there's a, there a big collection of it that was at a library and I took it out once and it's like, yeah, this is fun. I read Zot when I was in high school. And like mm-hmm. it, Zot is one of those things... You, this is kind of later on in the comic, uh, although it's, you know, it's there from the start, but the, it really reaches its peak much later. There's a lot of teen feelings in Zot. Um, it, yeah, it's... yeah, there's like, even in issue two, there's like, um, I want the boy to like me, and the boy's too busy being a superhero. <laughs> oh yeah, you bet. And um, I read it when I was in my, like, first serious relationship, and like, trying to to decide if I wanted to try to have sex with my first serious boyfriend. And I was, like, reading this comic about teenagers in their first serious relationship, but he's a superhero. And it just, like, it couldn't have hit harder, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was good. It's, um, it's good at that. <laughs> it's also, like, like, the cast of villains is, like, the most, like, like also ran Batman Rose Gallery you've ever <laughs> oh, seen. Oh yeah, oh Absolutely. yeah. It's so there's like the robot. Yeah, it's great. 
<laughs> I love all these MFs. Um, I'm I'm scrolling on the Z- Wikipedia page, and um, I guess with issue 11, it's going to switch over to black and white. And I think my library and my hometown in Kansas had a collection of the black and white issues. So maybe I'm going to get to issue 11 and I'll be like, oh, now I remember. I did read this part of Zot. That's Um, what I've read. Okay. I've not read the earlier stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, luckily, through the magic of piracy, you can read whatever you like now. (laughs) Speaking of. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Should we should we talk about uh, understanding comics itself, the main book that we're here to talk about? Sure. Yeah. I have a funny story to start this off. If you want, hit me. Because I took an elective in in college for comics, and I never read this book, but that teacher was clearly just teaching pages of it and taking it for their own. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> like so. Uh, one of the le- I've I've like so there's a page in this book that's like a Duke um a Duke Champs uh, painting of the the nude walking on the staircase mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like that was all in a lecture at that at, in that class and it's in this book and I'm like oh that's where that came from so there's probably like it probably I just learned this book but not this book in a weird way oh and so I'd like you both to try to guess what the four books were that were in that class like assigned like in what that four class? books you did read yeah yeah. yeah. Oh and my what, god. Remind me, what was the subject of the class? Just comics. Like, comics. One you uh, won't get in a million years, because it's Canadian. Okay. It's, it's Canada, of course. You, you have to have... It's like, yeah. So, I'm guessing that you read, like, the Will Eisner sequential art thing. No. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. So, were, were they... Was it four books on comics, or four comics? Four comics. Okay. Four, like, important, oh, okay, big comics. Okay. Um, One's a DC book. Okay. Um, All Star Superman. Please tell me it's not Dark Knight Returns. (laughs) Um, So it's the teacher told us after we read Watchmen that she rotates between Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, and that spot every semester, basically (laughs) to have something new. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh, the same slot. Yeah, it's funny. Um, So the second one is one of the higher profile indie books. It's it's a weird shaped book too. If that helps at all. Weird shaped. Book. Uh, building stories or Jimmy Corrigan? It's Jimmy Corrigan. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 that's a that's an interesting one. But I've never read that. I've never read that book. Uh, the other two are you're going to get one is um, uh, David Mazzucchelli did uh adaptation of a mystery novel. It's called uh City of Glass. I want to say it's like a Paul Auster mystery novel. Okay. And that book is really neat and it's also like really small and then the the final one which you you both would never ever in a million years get is a uh, chester brown did an ad uh biography on louis riel no i don't know which, any of these names an, you're throwing at me right is, now which he he is a huge guy in independent comics and louis riel is like a huge um prairie canadian like historical figure basically yeah yeah so it's like a huge book in canada only <laughs> it's just funny. God. Yeah. Uh, that's wow. Um, Those are the four comics. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then there's this one. I ha- I have a quick uh quick story that's similar to that, um which is just that um so I did not read this book until 2020 or 2021 for the first time. My stepmother is a um <clears throat> a professor of art at a university somewhere. I'm not going to blow up her spot. Um, 
But I remember her, like, when I was first getting into comics as a young person, like, pushing this book on me and me being like, it's kind of, this book is dry and boring. I didn't read Understanding Comics back then. Um, but I definitely have a lot of, a lot of things that I read in this book when I saw it for the first time. I was like, oh, that's just, my stepmom just said the same shit to me at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's definitely a thing where you like learn like it's it's a thing that goes unsaid but you learn how to read comics and you're learning all the stuff he's talking about in the book even if you're not reading this book yes yes um there's a not to get too ahead of ourselves and i should probably explain what the book is in a moment um but i think the thing that really draws me to this book is McLeod's um, ability to lay out things that, like, a comics reader intuitively understands, um, but, like, in laying it out, like, opens up a really huge possibility space for, like, what comics can be. But I should... So, if people do not know, Understanding Comics, published in 92 or 93, I believe, um, and it is, like, Scott McLeod is... Almost not quite writing a textbook of comics, but that's certainly how it um, has been adopted in the last, God, 30 years now. Um, uh, is like, this is the textbook for how comics work to a lot of people. Um, and so he has a chapter on, um, like, defining what comics are. He has a chapter, I'm just going to flip to the table of contents here. I'm not going to read every chapter, but like... Like, how does time pass within a panel of a comic? Or um, <clears throat> what uh, what is the purpose of the gutter between panels? Um, things things like that. Um, and before I talk too much, I'll throw it to you, Mark. Why did... Uh, I mean, I think we kind of came to you with, do you want to talk about understanding comics? But, like, yeah, why did so... you want to be on this episode? <laughs> yeah. So, in, so the, the reason that this is related to how early I know I started being interested in comics is that... I know that this book was my parents' big Christmas present to me when I was 10 years old. So what that tells me is that by the time I was 10, my parents were pretty convinced that this book is something that would, like, really excite me. You know, that could be, like, the centerpiece mm -hmm. of Christmas. Um, yeah. So, like, by that point, I was already enough of a comics nerd that they could tell that I wanted to read a book about you know, comics theory, like this, this book is a, <laughs> a work of basically theory, um, or at the very least of like, it, it is a critical work, a work of critical analysis. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, and it captivated me, I think basically because of what you just described, Autumn, where, you know, you read the things he's describing, and if you're already familiar with comics and comics are already important to you, you can tell, you know, the things he says, you're like, oh my god, yeah, that is true. I've felt that myself. And the book itself, like, demonstrates those things to you um, in a really beautiful way. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it became something that I... Like, I would reread it over and over again. I would think about the ideas in it and, and like, think about them with the comics that I was reading. <laughs> I was saying about uh, when I was a kid, yeah. I would, like, when I was, like, uh, going to bed at night and I, like, couldn't quite sleep, 
I would have this book by the side of my bed and I would pick it up and like flip to a random section and just kind of keep reading from there because it was like that familiar, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then the kind of ultimate result of that, you know, the way this kind of opened my eyes to the idea that you could have these thoughts about a piece of art, a piece of media, and then you could kind of apply those thoughts to like other works and so on. Um, this was my first introduction to that idea. And now, uh, 20 years later, I'm making podcasts. So there you go. <laughs> um, uh, for, for the exactly opposite take on this book, as someone who mm-hmm. has been reading comics for that long and then read this book for the first time this week, um, I have a, probably a different view on it than both of you in that I appreciate where the book ends up and where it wants to go and the enthusiasm in it, but I don't know how much I like the book actually. Hmm. Well, fair well, enough. So, um, the thing about the book is that um, I love it with my whole heart, and I also periodically am reading it, and I just think that Scott McCloud is kind of a crazy person <laughs> because um, he'll just go on... Um, lengthy uh digressions about cavemen fucking or um (laughs) how he read a manga one time and it blew his mind um and weird ideas about like eastern and western art in a like highly orientalist like um framing um and for me all that stuff that i i do kind of like dislike quote unquote about the book all the stuff that i find frustrating with um his preoccupations maybe um i think just makes me like the book a little bit more because it is um i i do find it so insightful and also there's so much that i can just like easily push against with uh with uh it's just weird sometimes it's a weird fucking book sometimes you know yeah i mean what i oh yeah go ahead what i can kind of say to this is because yeah you're right there's a lot of parts of this book that are like very strange um that you know that remind you of the fact that it's not really an academic book that what it started life as was Uh like an independent comic um and you know it was one comics guy talking to other comics people it was not really like like i say it's a work of theory but i'm sure that is not a word mcleod would have used for it when he was writing it um and so like he fe- it it's like there's he it's like he feels this freedom to just kind of go off on his beliefs about like what the fundamental human drive for art is like that's what the caveman thing is and it's obviously ridiculous and like offensive uh-huh. the way that the idea of a caveman generally is but he's trying to talk about like primal human needs and even when he's talking about the human needs beyond the caveman part of it he's still like going so far out there in the field uh just like making the biggest swings um in a way that someone within a more kind of professional intellectual field just wouldn't do right and i think that that's part of the power of the of the book um because when he's sometimes when he's making those swings it's to come up with ideas that, like, no one had really described before. Like, he he does actually truly innovate, I think. Um, yeah. And then at the same time, he says things where you're like, 
Have you, do you know anything else about like books people have written on aesthetics? Because it maybe feels like you don't. <laughs> I mean, um, and maybe this is me like not being a comics academic in any type of way. And so not having any like knowledge about this, but it is kind of interesting the way in which like McLeod puts out this book in 93, um, puts out reinventing and making comics in the two thousands. Um, and like that is at least in the popular imagination, like that is like the beginning, middle and end of um like comics theory to like, most people you know like there's not there aren't like you can't go to barnes and noble and pick up four other books that are kind of like understanding comics but not from uh you know a cishet white guy in the 90s like you can get understanding comics that's it um uh and i that makes me very charmed by the book in a lot of ways um i find the the ways in which yeah I'm repeating myself like the ways in which I find this book sometimes frustrating um, end up endearing me to it in a big way. Uh, But it is definitely it's just a weird book. It's just really weird sometimes. The thing I wasn't expecting like the most out of this book is like his tone throughout is like it's almost combative with the reader. Like there's a part of it really early on that he like dares like he's like, well, if you don't believe what I'm saying in this book, why don't you write your own book and I'll be the first to read it. Like, he's, like, challenging you to the form of ideas where he's, like, laying all this out. It's, like, the weirdest thing sometimes. Oh, he, yeah, Mm. no, the, Scott McCloud as the (laughs) figure in this book, you know, the character of the narrator of the book. I don't want to comment on the real guy necessarily, but the narrator, he totally believes in the marketplace of ideas. Like, (laughs) yes. He is entering the Agora to speak his mind. (laughs) Oh... No, you you don't get it. Everything else is art. Uh, I, 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 okay. Here, here's what I have to say about McLeod's theory of his definition of art, which is basically Uh that it's anything that a person does for any reason other than bare survival. Um, Uh it's obviously kind of laughable. I don't mm-hmm. think I would use it, like, earnestly, you know? I wouldn't, like, cite it. Um, I think it is kind of uh, dramatically possibility opening, because it does kind of... It does make the fact that you can't draw a clear dividing line between art and not art pretty, like, evident. Um, like, I feel like after reading this guy make this argument, I'm like, well, you're not right, but the fact that you can even say these things implies things that are still kind of a big deal. Um, like, there's a yeah. watered-down version of this argument that still convinces me. Um, but yeah, mm. the thing that he is actually arguing for is so, like, okay, if this is true, then what is the function of the word art? Like, it is so broad as to be meaningless. It's like the opening part where he tries to define what a comic is, and everyone starts... Like, he's at a stand-up show and everyone's throwing out rejoinders to his definition. Like, what if it has no words? What if it has no this? Well, no this. It's like Where's the at, Batman part? <laughs> at, at, some point you ha- at some point, you have to, like, just stop, right? And just let the thing be the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's true. I, I like, would... 
Go ahead. I do like the like the like the cartooning and the like the book, like the look, like his art is. I I haven't read the sculptor, the most 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 recent thing he did, but like the book looks great. It's stunning. Yeah. The panels are laid out well. Like everything's great. Like it flows. Like actually, that's that's what I was thinking of the story. Um, um, when he's talking about uh how everything is art, that's not like those two things. It reminded me of the game study study buddies on flow that book mm. and that, that whole concept in vi- like in video games where you lose yourself in a thing. And then what you're not, you're not doing like important things, but you're just right. you're flowing along with what you're doing. And that almost felt like that definition of art where it's like, Oh yeah, you're not doing anything important. So it has to be art. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely get what you're saying. Um, yeah. I, I like I, you replace the word art with play and like, yeah. you're almost there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the um, sticks and stones, right? In the, the caveman yeah, yeah. sections. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, okay. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to start at the beginning, but I do, mm-hmm. I would love to maybe talk if we don't have to do this with everything, but is anyone interested in like talking a little bit more in depth about any of the chapters? Like we could talk maybe about some of the things he has to say about like time in comics. Because I'm curious uh, about how the two yeah. of you feel about his kind of ideas there. So, um, uh, you go. There's a you go. there's a panel that I thought was from this, but it wasn't that I've seen for a long time. That uh, comics are about creating time with space, which is basically mm. what he goes over in this. Which is that, um, and that is one of my favorite things about comics. So that chapter was both very good, but also like, I guess it's like bare, like not bare bones, but like beginner almost mm, you're like i know this because i've read all these comics <laughs> yeah so. and like i've also like read like he, he he is so he's almost like so like he, there's certain ideas he's like so stuck on that like there's mm. that bit where so the funniest part is there's that bit where he dissects that one uh panel of the conversation happening in a room where someone takes a photograph oh yeah yeah and the first book we did for this podcast here is entirely right, made up yeah. of those pages and uh-huh, he's like this uh-huh. can't be comics because it all happens at the same time and i'm like looking at it going come on <laughs> this is so funny <laughs> yeah especially yeah. just um richard mcguire being like one of mcleod's contemporaries like they're both publishing in raw i think <laughs> yeah um, I, I think he has a certain um idea that he is like uh you know he's he's kind of he's kind of defensive in this whole comic, and there are parts of it where that's like really coming to the fore, oh, especially yeah. in like uh, the introduction. But I think mm-hmm. even in this part, I think what you are perceiving with this kind of over explanation, um, I think that is part of the like. I think he he is maybe aiming this to some extent at people who haven't been reading comics for, oh, for their sure. entire lives, you know, mm-hmm. um, which. Uh, doesn't mean I think there's still a bit of a the the tone I think could be a hit or miss because he's very like um dramatic. Uh he <laughs> uses page turns to make a lot of his rhetorical points, which I think is kind of cool, but it's also very I mean, imagine if you're reading a, a book of critical analysis and like every time the person is making a rhetorical point, they're like, "Do you think XYZ paragraph bake?" Paragraph break. <laughs> well, it turns out that blank, 
you know? It's uh, <laughs> it's very, there's a lot of flourish to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit uh-huh. condescending, maybe, <laughs> to some. Um, <laughs> again, you know, of course, it hit when I was 10. Uh, yeah. And uh, now I just sort of see the ideas more than I see the tone. But I'm not surprised that it comes across kind of rough when you already have a pretty good understanding of this stuff from experience. Yeah. Um, the thing about the, um, the, the chapter about time in comics for me that really hit, um, specifically like coming at this book, uh, as a person who like my first love is movies, you know, um, and seeing the ways in which like McLeod distinguishes like cinema from comics, I thought was like really insightful when I first read this, um, and helped helped open me up in a big way. Once again, like something that I sort of intuitively felt, but maybe didn't have words for until I read this book, which is just like the 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 pleasure of like the image in and of itself, the pleasure of like um, seeing an image for being an image and the time, the chapter on like how time moves in comics and how like, you know, the moment you put words on a panel, it's no longer a like photographic still. It is a like time passes because it takes you time to read those words. Um, and the ways in which time is spatialized just sort of really helped me in my thinking from decoupling like every image is an instant in time. Um, and that just opens you up to um, a whole wide world of like appreciating comics um, that just like was like really, really fucking hit for me, you know? Um, and in a way that just like, yeah, like so, sometimes things are obvious, but like I, I, the thing that was obvious was also very needed for me in a big way. <clears throat> um, I had another point that was going to branch off from that, and I've totally lost it now. <laughs> I also think he doesn't like he hits on it a bit, but doesn't hit on it. I don't think like there's that one page where everything is completely out of order because the the thing about comics is different from that's most different from film and television is that you're intended when you watch a film or a TV show to hit play and then watch it and then hit stop when you hit the end. And with a comic, you can Mm -hmm. just, you're just going wherever the hell you want. You can reread, you can go forward, you can go back, you can go to the same, you can read the same panel like six times, but you're not intended to watch a film like that. And it is in here. Like there's a, there's a page that's really great where um, he takes, it's a full like, Oh, where is it? I'm looking at the page, chapter right now. And there's like one page is just like it's he's been showing the same sequence of someone going to the store to get a drink, right? And then he yeah. shows it in like six sixty different like panels of it all over the place from all different sides. Because you're obviously that's how you read comic books, is through like you pick you choose where you want to start and where you want to stop and how fast you want to read it and how slow you want to read it, which is actually uh a thing I, I have a problem with a lot of the time because you'll see people with like complain like this is a more like a labor thing, but people complain about like uh, prices on independent comics a lot because they're not they're not that long and they're like expensive because they're like someone's doing it themselves. But you ask them like, mm-hmm. so how long did it take you to read this book? And it's like, oh, I read it in like five minutes, nothing happened. And you're like, you know, you could just like 
go slower when you read something, right? Or like you can like <laughs> like you could like like you can read like um or like Akira is a good example that we talked about on here is that you can read a, a volume of Akira in like uh, like forty five minutes because it like it just goes, but you can also just uh-huh. stop and look at every page for the same forty five minutes because there's so much in each of them. And that, I think, comes through very well in this chapter on time. I mentioned when Rick and I were just bullshitting before you hopped into the call, Mark, um, that I I grabbed Reinventing Comics off my shelf, and I didn't want to pull it into this conversation, like, too, too much, just because Rick hasn't read it. Um, But, like, it's interesting... This this idea of, like, you can read a comic in any direction... um, I think he really develops a lot more in reinventing comics with uh, his chapter on digital comics and how like you're not bound to, to the printed page anymore. You can, um, you know, to pull in the easiest example, like a page of Homestuck could be like one little gif or it could be a flash animation or it could be a game or it could be like 10,000 words of like, you know, um, text, you know, a a page of Homestuck can be anything. Um, and so like, I think like with McLeod, like hitting on, um, some of this in understanding comics and then like blowing it up in a huge way in, uh, reinventing comics is really interesting. Um, especially because reinventing comics, uh, even more, than understanding comics, I think, is plagued by um, McLeod really deeply believes in the marketplace of ideas. Um, and so he's like making he's like making a lot of claims and predictions all through reinventing comics that are going to get totally smashed by like Amazon will buy Comixology and no one's going to make any money making web comics and this entire economy will be- get crushed by the year 2010 you know <laughs> yeah yeah no it, that is the real danger of making a whole book that's just full of predictions about what the internet is going to do to something is like uh-huh like i agree that he's kind of blinkered by his ideology but even if he had like a better understanding of the world it's still very hard to predict things like that uh uh-huh. And Especially I think it was a little silly spot, of him yeah. to, yeah, like, I mean, I think, you know, it's because he wants to express, like, uh, I don't think it's wrong to ever express speculation. It's just, I look at what happened there and I'm like, oh boy, I mean, what were the chances that something like this didn't happen? <laughs> there are those panels where he's like standing on a timeline and it's like 1990 and forward is like 20 and then 2010 and then 2020, 2030, 2040 and like, everything's gonna be comics are everywhere and it's like that's true but what else (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um so uh as far as like there are some kind of i would almost say i i think maybe my like favorite uh sort of thing that he does in this book is when he introduces kind of specific critical tools um, which is something uh-huh. that, let's see, does he do this in the time chapter? Um, no, I'm looking for the part where I always just... think about the big triangle. Yes, the triangle. That's what I always think about. The triangle is one, like, it's 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 not as universal as he thinks it is, because he, <laughs> no. he has, he makes some big claims. But the triangle is cool. Like, the triangle does something. The, um, the triangle is really cool, and also, like, 
McLeod himself cannot get away from just like putting everything along the bottom of the triangle and never getting up to the top of the triangle because I don't think he actually he doesn't like fully develop the the top of the triangle as well as he'd like I think um we need to I, I tell people what the that. triangle is we have to say what the triangle is or people <laughs> are gonna kill us the, tri- the, the funniest um, one is uh so fifty two fifty three is the double page spread of the triangle where he puts all of the uh-huh the comics he talks about in this book on that this triangle mm-hmm, and yeah. the triangle is so he's trying to explain that in a comic you can go from a nice realistic rendering of someone's face on one axis to a happy face and everyone knows what a dot and a line is it's a face because that's how our brains work and he's trying to map all of the art in comics along this line from reality to the pure meaning of a face. And then the upward trajectory is into the more abstract categories of art away from like just people looking like people. Yeah. Like just like cubism would be up at the top in the picture plane, quote unquote. Yeah. I don't know what, Oh, these are all, I was wondering what the numbers are. They're all, um, they're all like, uh, footnotes for all the comics he's referencing. It's yeah, really so, funny yeah. to see the Japanese ones that show up and they're like, uh, <laughs> uh, there's like Lone Wolf and Cubs in here and uh, Astro Boys in here and like Tintin. Oscar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oscar um, from Rose of Versailles, not uh, <laughs> the Grouch. Yeah. <laughs> you go, Mark. Um, the, the, yeah, the idea with the big triangle, the way he's trying to categorize all visual art, on the one hand, he definitely didn't succeed at doing that. But on the other hand... Um, it is definitely, like, this is what I mean, yeah, when I talk about a critical tool where he's, like, introducing this idea of, like, okay, maybe uh, images, particularly, I think, this really actually works best talking about, like, picture images of humans, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Like, that's yeah. the kind of, he, I think he intends it primarily as a metaphor, um, but I think it almost really is what the theory focus is in on. Um, and he's trying to talk about differences of style, basically. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's cool. Um, I it's, like the... Um, sorry, go on. There's, there's stuff that... Sorry. There's stuff that, like, you get out of the triangle. Uh, the main thing that I think of is... Um, and, of course, McLeod, being McLeod, is like, wow, Japanese comics do this so cool, and American comics never do this. And I would quibble with that but um to actually explain what i mean um he's he talks about like there will be mixed levels of reality in Mm. a comics page so you might have um a very cartoony face i think about yotsuba a lot like you get very cartoony simplistic um characters in yotsuba and then they're like wearing the most lovingly rendered like most realistic clothes standing in like these streets with like the most incredible, most detailed line work. Um, and I think like, even if I have problems with how he sees the triangle as like this universal thing that can describe all images, I have problems with that. But when you use the triangle to get to look at this effect, look at like these mixed levels of like reality, um, and what that does for the reader, I find that really powerful, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I mean when I say I think these things are useful, is that, like, Mm -hmm. 
these are things that you can kind of pick up out of this book and do do something with somewhere else. Um, which, I mean, when I say do something with, I guess that's kind of a weird thing to talk about because I mean, like, intellectually, right? You can use these in making arguments um, or, like, writing things or whatever. Um, but uh, it it's not like I'm writing essays right now, but I, that's... That's, I don't know. I think that's a, a quality that I appreciate. Maybe if for no other reason than, like, learning kind of intellectual tools lets me think about things better. I guess that's really what it boils down to. Um, it is really interesting to me, too. Like, about, I guess the triangle is a good example because it's where he, like, lays out all the books he's talking about. Like, it's interesting in this book, the, like, the big omissions or like i don't know if they're deliberate omissions because like this book is like 92 right mm -hmm. and 93 i think and like it's interesting the people he names and people he doesn't name if that makes like because like at this point in the 90s uh like frank miller for example just like completely de demolished and reshaped marvel like by himself almost into like the new yeah. decade of what it is on Daredevil and turn that book into like the hottest thing ever existing and it's not in this book at all or like um yeah like more on this book but writing's on this book a lot at all but I kind of a, there might be a shot at him when he talks about the writer and the artist in this book which is kind of funny but <laughs> but like there it's oh even though Neil Gaiman is like an editor on this book yeah yeah <laughs> it, the, it's weird like the 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 big like names that aren't like are like off to the side doing the stuff he's talking about, but they're not in the book. Because, uh -huh. like, that's yeah. the, other thing about, the other thing about Miller, not to go back to him all the time, but he is kind of important to the history of comics, is that he's one of the big guys who takes all the influences from a bunch of places and, like, turns them into soup, basically, in his own artwork to create, like, stuff mm -hmm. that doesn't look like what people have seen before, which is why part of why it blows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um... It, yeah, it's, like, it's... There is early, like, the first couple pages of this book um, is, I think, where McLeod is at his most defensive, where he's trying to explain to a reader, comics are not just about superheroes. Comics are not just about Spider-Man and the X-Men and all of these things. Um, but that leads you to a weird place where, like, um, Jack Kirby shows up a ton in this book, and then there are other ar comic, like, superhero artists who sometimes show up here and there. Carmine Infantino talking about... Carmine Infantino's, like, motion lines show up a little bit. Or Gene Colan's motion lines show up a tiny little bit. But, like, you don't actually get into all the important things that are happening in, um, like, superhero comics at the time because it is so defensive about the medium is more than superhero comics. Um, uh, and it leads you to a weird place where, like, it just seems like manga is way cooler than superhero comics could ever hope to be throughout this book, you know? Which, like, I maybe agree, but that's more just down to my taste than, like, <laughs> a belief that, like, manga is, like, inherently superior. But also, and also those books aren't you know? different on, like, uh, like, a scale of, like, what they're designed to be, like, read by, like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're the same, like, the same, like, popular literature is that in both sides, but in the stuff that you're used to is, like, the stuff that you're, like, turn your nose up at but the stuff that's like from some other country is like oh this is cool but it's like the same stuff like astro boy is the superhero comics of that stuff 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I, the other, sorry, uh, the one last thing. The other really weird part about, to go back, actually to jump back to the first chapter, the history stuff, there's one thing that stuck out to me a lot, which is the funniest, or the thing to me that stood out the most is, so he seems to have like a giant like chip on his shoulder about comics not being important. But like in the, like newspaper comics were the dominant medium of entertainment for like three decades in North America. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, and like all that shows up here is crazy cat a little bit. He seems to drive by all the newspaper comics on his timeline to just get to where he is now. And it's like, I don't know how you do that when you, Oh, it's so, (laughs) Yeah, I, I, hmm. I, I don't I, think that the, I don't think that the timeline that he's doing there is intended to be a history of comics. I think it is intended to be an attempt to throw the idea of the earliest possible comic back as far as possible, um, and like explore because like he's talking about these like you know he wants to interpret, uh images on like uh egyptian tombs as comics so that he can say that comics are like the oldest medium or whatever um Mm -hmm. but then he also wants to talk about like other later works that people have also kind of pointed to as maybe the earliest comics or the earliest influences on comics but like yeah he doesn't talk about the 20th century he's not that's not because he's not interested in it that's because that's not like the scope of the history thing he's doing here and like the purpose mm-hmm. of this discuss the origin of comics thing, I, I if you're like, well, I don't care about that, then that's fair. I think talking about when the first example of something is, I think it's a worthy discussion for a given kind of type of media. Like, people also do this with science, mm-hmm. fi- science fiction all the time. Mm-hmm. What was the first science fiction novel? Um, it can get annoying, mm-hmm. but I think it's worthy of discussion, I guess. My thing was more that, um, so the whole book is about like the hidden secret that's in comics, but I don't know how much that is a hidden secret if it was the most dominant form of entertainment in a country for 30 years. Oh, I see what is, you mean it's, now. It's like the whole book is like playing off this idea that like comics is some untapped potential medium that no one is aware of, but like people have been re- were reading comics like day in day out as the the thing they did that was not like because there was there were no screens they were the thing i mm. i do think for that, me go on you go mark you go okay well <laughs> i just i i don't think that the kind of prejudice against comics that he's feeling is unreal um oh, I yeah, mean, no, no. I, you could certainly say that uh even by the 90s it was probably not as serious as like i I think there's probably an influence here from his own childhood, right? Mm. Which I'm not sure exactly exactly how old he is, but like, I don't know, probably uh, grew up in like the 60s or the 70s, right? Um, I'm Googling now, just out of my own. Born 1960. Okay, well, there you go then. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's, so like at the that's height definitely of... a time period where like, if he was reading comics as a kid, which we know he was like, He talks about it in the book that his own, like, childhood obsession. Um, Like, of course, he would have been dealing with people basically being like, oh, that's trash or whatever. 
Um, so yeah, there's clear, clearly a kind of, we've talked about chip on his shoulder. There's a way in which it's like a personal emotional thing, but mm-hmm. it's not like, uh, you know, um, there, the, the perception that comics are not worthy of t- being talked about. Um, I think one thing you can point to that's instructive is like, was there much of a, intellectual field talking about comics before this and like the answer is kind of no like i don't know yeah it's it's eisner's book on sequential art and that's just about it and there are Um, like there there are like craft books like books written on how to make comics right um Mm -hmm. but that's very different i think from what this is and um you know basically uh he he is trying to accomplish the task of explaining why comics matter and uh absurd as it seems like there 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 is a need to make that argument um especially like in a semi-academic mm-hmm. context um it, it's often necessary to make the point of like why does this thing matter um mm-hmm yeah, but no, it is I, a little like yeah. tedious. <laughs> he spends a lot of the book doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what do you think of the? So there's a bit in I believe it's chapter the one he's doing the transition graphs, the bar graphs. Mm. Oh boy, yeah. There's a lot going on here. Like I like it. I like the transition graphs as a the types of transitions as a thing to uh-huh. talk about comics with. But the thing he thinks he's proving with those graphs, I don't know what he's trying to do. Yeah, I I feel very similar where um, it's, it's a tool that I like, I find useful. I'll read a comic and sometimes be thinking about like the different types of transitions or especially if I was making comics, I mm-hmm. would absolutely be like thinking about this constantly, I think. Yeah. Um, um, just, uh, by the way, but then, uh, you go, you the go. thing where the section we're talking about starts on like page oh, yeah. 70 and goes through about page 80. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah. Yeah. I think it's chapter four. I want to say maybe five, but anyway, um, if I was making comics, I would be thinking about the, like, I find this to be a very useful tool. Um, and then also, <laughs> toward the end of you know that uh page like page 80 and 81 gets into like his weirdo orientalism once again about how uh mangaka are just better at making uh comics because they people in the east quote unquote understand um like silence and pause um as just as important to a work as um like um the things that are are actually said. I just, I it, I love this book so much, and I also just find it makes me crazy sometimes. You know, you know what it is? It's the it's um, the Miyazaki, it's the Ghibli thing where people post like, like oh, it's one hundred percent that swing set from like Grave of the Fireflies. Like, look how calm the movie is. It's like you know, movies are like that all over the. <laughs> Yes, one million percent. Like I hear people just like parrot this exact word for word what is on these pages to talk about Ghibli movies, and I lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> you know, I would love to see someone actually do this little like experiment that he's sort of trying to do, where like he 
you know, he tots up the number of different types of panel transitions in each of a number of comics. I'd love to see someone actually do that in like a statistically viable way. Um, I think it'd uh-huh. be like, I think it's a little tricky because I don't think his categories are totally um, discreet. Yeah. Like, I think they're kind of porous. So making the call in some cases might be hard, but like, I bet that the, patterns that he claims to see between different nations don't exist in the same way but i think it would be interesting to like see what these things look like like something that i think is actually interesting is when he applies this to like extremely experimental comics like some of art spiegelman's early work and those charts look insane compared to like Uh the kirby and tezuka comics that he's charting um Mm -hmm. like and and I think that's cool that you can in some way illustrate like there's something formal about this experimental comic that is truly unlike more n- sort of normally narrative comics. Mm-hmm. That's that's cool to me. Or just like the ways in which like Mouse original like the original Mouse is so different on this graph from like um mouse that like most people have read you know yes yes um i uh, we should we should talk about the original mouse on this on this podcast one of these days you should talk about breakdowns that's like we should do you want to talk about breakdowns (laughs) um i was at i was at the uh comic store in my neighborhood recently and they had a big book of art spiegelman's early work and i thought about getting it and i didn't i might i might stop by the comic store tonight and grab that honestly i am woefully unread um, i'm not sure him. what's in there yeah i've i've as far as spiegelman goes i've really only read um like mouse volumes one and two and then like i think i think breakdowns is like the one other thing i've read like i've read I've seen pages from his short comics, but I don't actually, I have not like read much of them. The other thing about this book that I just realized that I surprised it didn't hit me sooner is that, um, it's all squares and rectangles. Yeah. He's got actually like a super regular grid. It's all like either Mm -hmm. he's got like a, um, like a four by three, four along the top, three along the side grid. And then he, varies the rectangles within that yeah like so much super of super regular yeah so much of the alternate comics i read and have read are like they don't even touch panels like this at like at all mm-hmm. and like trying yeah. to even map them onto his like chart doesn't even exist for those things because like the transition is like the art itself and not like panels doing it yeah yeah i honestly think that like the the Rereading it brought me to this place a little bit more, too. Um, I think the reason it is so regular and rhythmic like that is so that you can get to chapter nine and he can just totally blow it up. Um, I, I think that is the reason that it is like this. Oh, I can see that. You know, yeah. it's just so that, just so that like you can get to him doing all sorts of other things in the final chapter. And it can, like... Yeah, like, the thing that I... You know, the thing that I like most about this book is... Um, even when it's frustrating, it opens you up to a world of, like, possibilities, and that's what it feels like Chapter 9 is trying to get to, you know? I'll also say one thing that I think we haven't mentioned that I think is, like, important about this book, um, and that I think actually the, like, 
um, 12 panel structure helps with is that he can demonstrate a lot of the comics techniques that he's talking about on the page. So, for example, when he wants Absolutely. to discuss different types of motion lines, um, which, by the way, he of course, he does his whole little east-west split there again, whatever. <laughs> but, but when he wants to talk about different types of motion lines, he just literally draws motion lines. Um, it honestly reminds me of how Samuel Delaney talks about, like, science fictional sentences, which he'll do by just writing a science fictional sentence right there in front of you. Um mm-hmm. There's something I think very elegant about that, and I think what it, the reason I mentioned the twelve grid is that I think that allows him to kind of um, like because he's set up this very predictable structure. It's almost like uh, he's arranged his ideas in like a nice little bullet point list. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's what I think the effect of those rectangles is, as well as enabling this kind of big explosion of the panel borders when he's suddenly telling you about how comics will change the world. <laughs> I just kind of reminded there's young blood panels in this thing. Rob Liefeld's in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he fucking is, dude. <laughs> we should... <laughs> God, we should oh, talk right. about some fucking Rob Liefeld comics on this podcast one of these days. Would you go? <laughs> you know what's the, an no, amazing? Should... Oh, go, oh, go on. No, no. Uh, you know what's an amazing little bit of marginalia on in my copy, which is um, so I've got a print copy, obviously my, my birthday gift, um, and this is a um, when was this printed? It's a Harper Collins uh, edition, nineteen ninety four. So. Um, so it, it has this thing in the back uh, with all the copyright information. Mm-hmm. And then um, it tells you where to write him uh, to potentially buy original art. So he's he's basically got like commissions open in his Twitter bio at the back of the book. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And then we were talking. Thank you, King. <laughs> we were talking about uh, the marketplace of ideas. I'm just going to read you a sentence or two. Oh, no. Letters of comment are appreciated, if seldom answered, due to overwhelming commitments. But I would especially appreciate a, italicized, public discussion of these issues in comics, trade journals, art magazines, computer nets, and any other forum. <laughs> this, book, oh this book is meant to stimulate debate, not settle it. Uh, paragraph break. I've had my say. Now, it's your turn. <laughs> it is, it's very funny, um, having, having my understanding comics and reinventing comics side by side, and at the end of understanding comics, you get one quick page that's like, here's all the copyrighted stuff, here's like a couple books that I was reading that got me going on this, and then you read, um, in reinventing comics, and it is like, there is an index. There is a list of comics that are cited. There is a list of copyright and art credits. There are links to scottmcleod.com and other online resources. There are, like, there is a selected bibliography. Like, this is, you can feel how much, like, understanding comics got took, taken up in academic circles. And so, like, there is back matter to reinventing comics that tries to push it into that space in a big way. Yeah, there, yeah, no. Yeah. There is one other big idea we haven't really touched on that's in this book. It is the six steps of creating art. Oh, God. 
Um, I truly just, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I got to that in my reread this week and I skipped it. I truly, I truly did not give a shit. And I believe at some point in this chapter, he says like, even if an artist does not realize they are doing this, they are doing this. Don't worry about it. I know. I'm Scott McCloud. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, yeah, this is nothing. This is, this doesn't mean anything. Um, when I was, it, um, should we explain the six steps that he outlines here? <laughs> Do you, do, I have the page up. You want me to read it? Okay, yeah, fine. Do it. Yeah, uh, go so for it. So number one is the idea or purpose of it. Number two is the form of it. Number three is the idiom. Number four is the structure. Number five is the craft. And number six is the surface. And, yeah. yeah. When I was, like, 15 and reading, like, writing advice shit um, on the internet, I remember, like, reading, like, columns from Dan Harmon being like, actually, every single story ever follows, like, this circle chart that I made that shows you how <laughs> stories work. And even if you don't think it fits into the circle, it fits into the circle. Don't worry about it. This is the same thing to me. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. And it is very, like, writing advice-y. Like, it's clearly him trying to kind of uh, say something to prospective comics creators about the paths that their career might follow. Because, like, it leads into this little... Uh, narrative which is honestly very condescending um about like uh different a, a number of different comics creators all of them like starting with the least consequential element of art which is the surface and then working over time uh further in towards the core of like the more and more important ways of uh making comics um and he shows you like a different person who stops at each level. And so it's like, there's this one guy whose comics never get beyond the surface. And it's like, holy shit, who are you thinking of here? <laughs> you drew an actual face here. So it makes me think that you maybe are dissing someone. He's thinking of Rob Liefeld. <laughs> I don't know that that's true, but I'd like to imagine that it's and true. The second uh, you know, he's drawing Wolverine here. He might be thinking about Rob Liefeld. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the, so the one mean. Guy, there's so many funny things here yeah yeah there's like the one the one is like a girl who like applies to like draw comics and then is on like put on like the assembly line of some like animation thing or comic thing yeah and she has like a subtly satisfied smile in that panel though clearly she's happy <laughs> to be an assistant god so weird um there, there's a, there's that bit earlier when he's talking about um the jungle stuff and like how everything's art and one of the things, one of the examples he gives of what a way that you make that everything is art is someone doing a little dance in their assembly line job at a factory. Yeah, no, that is one of the points where like your comparison <laughs> between that stuff and flow is like the clearest. Um. And that reminds me of the darkest panel of the whole thing, where it cuts back to like the modern day, and it's someone going to a job interview, and there is a ghost of a saber tooth tiger following them through the street to their job interview. <laughs> okay, but that's what going to a job interview is like. It's true, but... It does but feel like that. He thinks it's like survival in the same way. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... And by far, uh, the, la the the funny... The, the most ridiculous part of all the, like, the manga stuff in this book is at the very end, where he has one page to like explain... Japanese comics in his like final conclusion he talks about how Japan is this nation that was isolated and so developed comics in its own unique special way and no point in this book will ever go into the why 
comics exploded in Japan or why that escalation happened in the first place. <laughs> That's the most um, frustrating thing to me about the way in which he is like a marketplace of ideas guy is that like with even just like an ounce of like historical materialism, you can like actually start to like, I don't, I think you can have your historical materialism and your Orientalism and you can like, at the very least start to get to like Japanese comics developed in this different way because, and he, he, he touches on it. He touches on like Japanese comics are distributed in ways that are different from how they're distributed in the U S. And so that leads to different products. Um, but that's as far as he can get. And I think, like, if you just take, like, five seconds to look at, um, like, history, you might get to somewhere that doesn't feel um, as maddening <laughs> as this book feels. But I also, like, that also dramatically, I think, increases the scope of this book mm-hmm. is to start, if you start taking on all of comics history and all of comics theory, like, I get why you don't yeah, want yeah, to do obviously. that. I, and I get I that mean, it's like a 200-page book, you I'll, know? <laughs> I'll say, like, I think the answer is that he really just should not have uh, been so obsessed with comparing Japanese and Western comics. He should have just included lots of manga examples, as he clearly wanted to do, you know? Um, like it's more useful for him to talk about the ideas that are in some sense universal to comics, or at least ideas that are applicable to all the comics he's talking about. Um, but you know, unfortunately for us, he did have this obsession with Japan, like many white men in the nineties. And still today. (laughs) I would, I would love to, um, like talk to him and find out like, so how much of this was, like, translated when you were writing it? Because he's, like, referencing, like, books in here, like, 750 Writer, which he references two or three times in this book, that I just was like, oh, that looks pretty good. I'm going to look into it. I cannot find that book in English now in 2023. So is he just, like, picking up volumes of stuff and reading it untranslated and just sort of, like, you know, taking in the... Or, or does he speak Japanese? Like, for all I know, the man can read Japanese, and this is not an issue for him. I don't know. You um, know what? I have like I have to say, if Scott McCloud was able to write in Japanese when he made this book, he would have done it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's fucking true. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> uh, to go back to a positive um, yeah. thing. Um, one of the parts I really uh-huh. liked is there's a bit in here where he has, where he explains, well, he explains a simple thing that, um, you're only looking at comics, so it has to simulate the other senses through just pictures. And that stuff's really cool too. Mm, yeah. 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 Especially absolutely. when you mention the color later and like, you have to like, like the backgrounds and how they contrast with the foregrounds and like the color and the coloring using the coloring styles and how all that creates the mood in your mind of things that are happening that are not happening, obviously because we're just looking at images. That stuff's really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, that's, that's a really cool part of the book. The color stuff's Um, also weird too, because this is exactly the time, the worst time in the history of comics to write a book about, or a chapter about coloring in comics. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just a weird accident of history. Yeah. yeah, Cause like, (laughs) I believe, like, this is right around the time where, uh, go, to go back to him again, uh, Frank Miller and Lynn Varley are, like, demanding DC give them, like, a crazy-ass contract to, like, self-do the colors on Ronin so that it looks good 
in like full color and like this stuff's all happening at this exact moment in time when this book's being written so like he's not wrong about the color stuff but it's just about to change in a million different ways that's so funny <laughs> yeah he also references in here um like Publishers going back to old comics and redoing them, like, <laughs> going back to old four-color comics and redoing them in, like, modern styles. And it's like, he just, he doesn't know that, like, you know, in 2023, you simply cannot get the good version of The Killing Joke anymore. You cannot get the good versions of, like, Neil Adams comics or, like, you know, Marvel just, like, totally uh, taking the old versions of, like, Walt Simonson Thor off store shelves, like... And it's, um, it's just a thing, like, he makes a quick reference to it here in, like, two panels, and that's fine, I don't need him to talk about it more, but it's very funny that in these two panels, he just, like, brings up my personal axe to grind with Marvel and DC constantly, and I'm like, no, King, talk about it more. <laughs> Flat colors are good. Flat colors are good? Give it, put out the good version of the killing joke, what are we doing here? That one's the. F it's on someone's fucking shelf at DC. Just put it that out. That one's the please. funniest because that's Bolin doing that. Yeah. No, he doesn't like. He's wrong. I know. He's fucking wrong. <laughs> so funny. Uh, it looks so bad in the new one. Anyways, uh, I guess that's what this book is going to do, right? Is is this book is going to lead you off into a million directions about comics you've read because that's what it's about. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, I think one of the things that this comic uh, does is that, like, and I think this is something that happens to a number of people who read it, like, early in their lives, is that you look at all those citations and you're like, oh my god, there's so many comics in the world. And, like, I think most of the comics that he, like, copies images from and, like, cites in here are pretty excellent comics. Like, the man's got pretty good taste. Yeah. Um, you could do yeah, a lot if you're, worse. If you're, if you're like a comics reader in 1993, and honestly, if you're a comics reader in 2023, like you can just look at this book and be like, damn, I should read some Carl Bark Scrooge McDuck comics. And you're right. You should. They're the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, so true. Um, you can just look at that triangle. I've I've literally done this. I've just opened up the book to the triangle page and picked a random thing and been like, I'm going to read that now. You know, I have to know if the, the bit where he talks about the writer being so writerly and the artist being so artistly is like a specific dig against someone, because that feels like a specific dig against a creator. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely one of his uh, ideas that I think is pretty weak, um, even just as an idea, like not in the sense that it's kind of dated, but just literally, I don't think he's right that um, kind of more complicated words and more complicated pictures are like in flight from each other and can't be combined. Like mm -hmm. I, I, there's certainly a, uh, there's certainly a limit to how wordy a given comics panel can get without it starting to be like a burden. Right. Like that's a real thing. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I He has some kind of odd ideas about, like, the relationships between words and pictures and how those are on a spectrum, and I think those might be uh, wrong. I mean, like, literally this week I was rereading some um, Dave Cockrum, uh, Chris Claremont X-Men comics from, like, the 70s, and, like, you know, Chris Claremont, the wordiest motherfucker in comics, um, 
and then like um specifically the stuff i was reading was like um when dave cockroom just gets on his pet thing of like turning the x-men into a weirdo alien sci-fi comic with the star jammers and the shiar empire and all this stuff and it's like like color and line just like bursting at the seams of the book uh, like um and then like you know these highly melodramatic claremont word bubbles just like crowding up everything and like it makes it just like the loudest comic in the world and i think that's like on purpose like you know like yeah x-men was one of the biggest books in the fucking world at that at that point you know like everybody was reading x-men who was reading comics you know (laughs) yeah yeah i think in some cases like baroque words and baroque images complement each other Uh uh-huh there's an example Uh i'm looking for at the moment uh talk a bit because there's a there's a specific comic i'm thinking of that makes me think of this every time it comes up which is uh i'll just vamp while you're looking for it um it's very funny because um at the end of that arc about the shiar empire john byrne finally comes in and john byrne if people don't know is going to be like the x-men artist for like days of future past and the dark phoenix saga uh, a lot of the most iconic x-men moments of the 80s and it like it you take Dave Cockrum off the book, you put John Byrne on, and it's suddenly like, oh, the X-Men are here. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like Dave Cockrum's art way more than John Byrne's, but it's like, oh, shit, those are the X-Men now. <laughs> um, I can't find this shit. There's a specific page I think of. There's a, there's a specific artist who his whole thing is he'll draw the most simple comic scenes in the world, and then he'll make... He'll draw the, the the scene in the word balloons, and then the tail in the word balloons will be an entire maze on the page to figure out who's saying what at any point. And like the whole intent oh, is wow. to like literally overwhelm you with the words on the page in a way that like you don't ob- see that often in comics. It's that's sick. really cool. Wow. Uh, yeah, you should if you can find the name of this person, I'll put them in the yeah, show yeah. notes. Oh, what the hell is it called? It's driving me because it's driving me nuts now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, like, yeah, like, the book's got a ton of, like, if you, I could pay, take a million things out of this book, but, like, the whole, th- I guess that that's the thing, is, like, there's a million small things I love about it, but the whole thing together just kind of, like, doesn't do anything other than his enthusiasm for comics as a whole, which I agree with, because I like comics mm-hmm. a lot, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like, weird. He also has this weird chip against, like, movies and tv almost or like popular entertainment in general yeah he definitely thinks that like tv is rotting the kid's brain a little bit you know <laughs> the screens are going to come after them uh-huh um so a segment in here where he like talk he's, he's like um there's a lot of quotes from like different people about art in here and like some of that mm-hmm. stuff i will admit went right over my head because like i i am not uh trained in any of this stuff so, like, when he's talking about, um, like, there's a bunch of, there's a section right near the end where there's just a bunch of quotes from a bunch of people about, like, the, the power of art and all this stuff. I don't remember where it is. Oh. Oh, I don't remember what I'm saying. Whatever. <laughs> there are parts of this that went past that's me. That's all right. But yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. just the more technical stuff. Cool, um, I'm running out of things to talk about with understanding comics. Books yeah, cool. yeah, I feel like I've pretty much covered it. It is cool. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't love, know which one to read I the spent next so one. So much of this cool. episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I spent so much of this episode complaining about this book. I love it so much, dude. Um, I love it in part, and I've said this before, I love it in part because I can complain about it. Um, I just, you know, uh, for all of the book's faults, I think I really appreciate what McLeod is trying to do and all that he does actually manage to do. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, he tried a lot of things and it all failed. <laughs> like, there's a lot of stuff about this book that really works for me. Uh, it's just that, like, the stuff I can talk about very easily is the stuff that I'm pushing back on, mm -hmm. you know. Um, <clears throat> I'm really glad we got to talk about it for this episode. Yeah, no, this has been delightful. Um, I'm always glad to get to talk about understanding comics, and uh, I am so happy to have been your guest. We should have Mark back yeah. talk about a narrative. <laughs> I, I do love narratives. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Mark and I were talking very briefly this morning about... Um, not having read a ton, like not having read much like early Morrison stuff in connection to like um, the Animal Man episode of the Homestuck bonusodes that came out today. Um, so I don't know, maybe we'll get you on and talk about Doom Patrol or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I could probably do <laughs> or that. or something that you have actually read and just want to revisit. Either way, but yeah, um, well, I'll think about it. Um, or we go much earlier. I don't want to. <laughs> I I don't want to um, throw names out and like get people disappointed if we don't do them, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling Morrison will come up at some point, whether or not, <laughs> like, just no matter what. There's yeah. no avoiding them. Well, like, uh, yeah, that episode came out, it was good. Um, but it, it brought up all the things in my head where it's just like that, they were one of the things where I got, I read everything up to a certain point, like, every, like, do you know what Sebastian O is? Mm. No. No. It's a three-issue steampunk, or a cyberpunk comic in the steam era. Wow. From, like, the early, <laughs> okay. yeah, 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 like, early stuff, like, or, like, Zenith, the uh, 2008 stuff. That stuff's fun. Damn. Yeah. All right. I could, look, I could um, do that if that's what you want to do. You might I'll have to help me get my hands on it, but. Um, the good thing about certain creators well, is that people are very encyclopedic about keeping their stuff on the internet. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> Some more than others, but yes. Um, well, Mark, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at Char Asnablunt um, on Twitter and also on Tumblr. Um, and you can find me at Venn Diagram on Cohost. Um, I have a podcast that is um, on like semi-hiatus Biatus, really, at this point, called Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements. It's a podcast about Moby Dick. Um, I also have a new podcast project coming up pretty soon. Um, probably not yet launched uh, when you hear this episode, but um, if you enjoyed this episode of Coffee and Comic Books, I think you will probably enjoy my new podcast, uh, is what I'll say. I don't know what this is, so I'm excited about this. Uh, I, I can tell you after we're done recording. Um, sure. But yeah. Um, I was on a Moby Dick episode. Yeah, so. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. Yes. Rick guested on an episode of Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements uh, where we discussed uh, the anime um, Hakuge Legend of the Moby Dick, which is an extremely oh, loose adaptation right. of Moby Dick. <laughs> I forgot that anime about is that. not very good, but the episode was no. good. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a bad anime, and it was a fun one to talk about. <laughs> it also, funnily enough, ties into what I've been doing because uh, uh, so I've been continuing to scan all these old issues of Animage, and uh, that team did uh, Treasure Planet in the '80s or Treasure Island in the '80s, the pirate story. It's like, oh, it's, cool. okay. it's, it's all the same people, and the one guy just looks like the main guy from Hagukei the whole time. I'm like, this is not the same. It looks the same guy. <laughs> oh my god, that's <laughs> so, so funny. Fun. Yeah, yeah, just a decade earlier, did the same thing. Like, what if we do that again? But like, that anime feels like a tax write off in a weird way that I don't know how to explain. <laughs> or like a bet that someone's like, I bet you can't do this, and like, watch us. God. <laughs> it's yeah. Cool. No, I'd believe it. I'm also excited about um, the podcast, yes. Rick, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and co-host at CombatlerRickB and here. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal. Um, if you go to exportodd.io, that takes you to the Patreon page where we've got links to all the free feeds for all the shows. I should double check before I go to town for the weekend that that is up to date. I'm not sure that it is. <laughs> um, besides that, if you give us a dollar a month, you get um, access to um, a bunch of podcasts early, like Ornate Stairwells or Hot Singles or other thing. Gotham City Limits. My brain just farted for a second there. Uh, and for $5 a month, you get uh, more episodes of this podcast. Um our next episode is going to be a $5 episode about um, Alan Moore's top 10. Hell um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and we will we will also, if if people don't recall from last week's uh, Kate Beaton's Ducks thing, we will, we will talk on the Alan Moore top 10 episode about the end of Billy Bat because that episode got, uh, got eaten up by technology problems in an unfortunate way. So um, more Billy Bat talk, more Alan Moore talk next week. Um, and then after that, we're doing, um, Through the Woods and, um, that fucking Castle comic that neither of us can remember <laughs> the name of ever. <laughs> oh, the Emily Carroll book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, when I... I guess that'll be a $5 episode, because I think this is going to be a free episode, so... Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> after that, anything's possible. Young blood is possible. <laughs> so, we should... We should do something like we could do Rob Liefeld, sure, but we could also just do Stephen Platt. Do you know who Stephen Platt is? Uh, maybe he's like the guy who does all the profit, original profit stuff. And oh, I thought Rob did. No, that. no, no. Well, did he just? Uh, he does. He takes over really early on, and it's his stuff is wild looking, <laughs> but it oh, okay. it's unparsable. But it's it's really great. Yeah. <laughs> I read the uh, the Brandon Graham yeah, so mm -hmm. reboot back before um, Brandon Graham was turbo canceled um, for being the worst piece of shit on the planet Earth. <laughs> um, and who secretly like got back into uh, working on Fortnite or something? No, <laughs> you don't know this story. I'll tell you after. <laughs> no, oh my god. Okay, well, we could talk about that later. <laughs> Yeah, Christ. Uh, comics. Oh, man, we sh we could we could read early profit. That would be a that would be a hoot. <laughs> or just like early that style of book. Yeah, there's a lot of options there. Yeah, we haven't done any like I guess um, the next one will be like the most superhero book we've done, other than like the Winterman, I guess, which isn't really that. Also, 
I get. I feel like 2001 is the closest we've gotten yeah, to a superhero book. And that is just like a vicious takedown of what superhero books <laughs> are. Jack Kirby of all things. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, That's great. I just, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, until next time, uh, we still don't have a sign-off. We've never come up with a we sign-off. We had one for three weeks, but then Billy Brad ended. <laughs> um... Flipping through my copy of Understanding Comics, uh, trying to come up with a catchphrase. Oh. <laughs> no, that's not going to work out for you, I don't think. No. <laughs> uh, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye.